Well, last week we talked about God as creator and how critical it was for the Hebrew mindset that they understood that Yahweh spoke all things into existence. And then how the authors of the New Testament, when the New Testament rolled around, called on that language to help us understand Jesus and his life and work and his role in the world. Hope you had a great time last week. And today, today, we're talking about God as covenant maker. God as covenant maker. This is the way that God pursues his people. So let's just do a little bit of preliminary work here, and then we're going to get into the scripture. The first question I have for us today is, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? Well, simply put, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. This happened all the time in the Old Testament. God made covenants with his people. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But individuals made covenants with other individuals. And what they would actually do when they made that covenant is sacrifice an animal and put half the body on one side, half the body on the other, and walk through the middle of this sacrificed animal that had been split in half, as if to say, may I become like this animal if I don't hold up my part of the agreement. May I become like this animal now split in half on the ground if I don't hold up my part of the covenant. That is serious, is it not? One of the ways to help us understand covenants is maybe to contrast them with contracts. See, in a contract, you say you'll do something if someone does something for you. Someone renders a service and you pay them for it. That's a contract. And in a contract, if that service isn't rendered, you don't owe them money. You're not going to hold up your end of the bargain if they don't hold up theirs. That's a contract. A covenant is different. In a covenant, you hold up your end of the bargain regardless. Again, may I become like this animal if I don't follow through on covenant. This is how God has chosen to engage with his people. Let me say that again. A covenant, a covenant is a promise that you keep no matter what. And God has chosen to engage with his people by way of covenant. And all that kind of underlies and supports that covenant-making aspect of God is this part of his character called his chesed. I know I butchered it once again, but it's chesed. That's his loving kindness. It's translated as mercy. It's translated as charity. It's translated a lot of different ways, but perhaps the Jesus Storybook Bible says it best. God's chesed is his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. His chesed is his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. And that love, unconditional, total and complete love, fuels the fire of covenant as God engages with his people. This is what underpins God's covenants with his people. Now, there are five major covenants in the Old Testament. We're going to go through them here in a minute, but there are five major covenants. And in their book entitled Doctrine, Mark Driscoll and Jerry Brashears point out 
that all of the five major covenants in the Old Testament have five things in common. We're going to go through them here. The first is each covenant has a covenant mediator, a covenant mediator. It's an individual through whom God engages with people by way of covenant. So the first covenant is called the Adamic covenant because Adam was the covenant mediator. In the Noahic covenant, which we'll talk about in detail today, Noah was the covenant mediator. In the Davidic covenant, can you guess who's the covenant mediator? David, of course, the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham is the covenant mediator. And finally, in the new covenant, Jesus is the covenant mediator. So each covenant has a covenant mediator. Number two, each covenant has blessings associated with it. In each of those covenants, you will find that God stipulates very clearly the ways in which he will bless his people by way of keeping his part of the covenant. Number three, each covenant has conditions or curses associated with it. Let's talk about that just a little bit. These are not conditions by which God says to his people, hey, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, I'm not keeping up my end of the bargain. That's a contract. That's not a covenant. See, this is how God says it. He says, look, here's what I'm going to do, and then here's your part as well. And every time, all five covenants, God, God's people say, we will hold up our end of the bargain. We will hold up our end of the covenant. And do they? No, they're five for five. And so they do experience curses rather than blessings because they let their end of the covenant fall. Number four, each covenant has a sign associated with it. A sign. One is an internal sign and two is an external sign. So for every covenant, all five, the internal sign of that covenant is faith, is faith. For every single covenant, God asks, exhorts, tells, commands us or that particular covenant mediator to place faith and trust in God. God says, trust me, put your active trust and faith in me. That's the internal sign. And then there are external signs of the covenant. Uh, pay attention on this one, because as we talk about the Noahic covenant, there will be a quiz. I don't usually do a quiz, but there will be a quiz today. So pay attention as we talk about the Noahic covenant, and I bet you'll figure out what the external sign of that covenant is. And fifth, every covenant involves a form that the family of God takes or the people of God takes as a result of that covenant. I'll just give you a couple of examples here, but we'll get into more detail. The form that God's people take as a result of the Abrahamic covenant is they become a family. The form that God's people take as a result of the Davidic covenant is they become a nation. The form that God's people take as a result of the new covenant in Jesus is they become a church. We're going to talk about that more, but remember, each covenant shares five things in common. There's a covenant mediator. There are blessings associated with it. There are conditions and curses associated with it. There's an internal and external sign of the covenant. And finally, there's a form that God's people take. Now, here's the deal. Last week, we talked about God as creator, and we talked about the pinnacle of his creation. That was humankind in that first man, Adam. 
and really God made a covenant with Adam. We didn't talk about that in detail last week, but if you take those five aspects that we just talked about, that every covenant shares in common, go reread the story of creation and the story of humankind, and you will see all five aspects reflected in the original creation story. First covenant God makes with his people is the Adamic covenant. And the second is the Noahic covenant. Guess who's the covenant mediator? Noah. Yeah, that's why it's called the Noahic covenant. And the story of the Noahic covenant begins in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, I would love it if you'd open to Genesis chapter 6. If you don't know, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, so it's really easy to find. Flip to chapter 6, and let me give you a little bit of context, and then we'll pick up the story. The, uh, the people that God created have grown from just Adam and Eve to people all over the place. There's a lot of folks now. And here's what happens. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And listen closely. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Yowza. Let me read that one more time. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Like, this is as bad as it gets, right? And, and not only that, it wasn't just the inclinations of the human heart, the results, how people were treating each other, acting towards one another. I mean, just violence and theft and just, I mean, things had gotten so bad. Listen how bad they got, verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. Whoa. Now, let's talk about that just really quickly because does the Lord go, I made a mistake? No, he doesn't make mistakes. But what the author of Genesis is helping us understand is God's emotions here. Watch the second half of the verse. And his heart was deeply troubled. I mean, this is as brokenhearted as God gets when he sees how bad things have gotten. Verse seven, here's the result. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. This is bad. Verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Stop there. I want to point out something because if you know the story, God is about to annihilate the human race and save Noah and his family. And sometimes what we do is we look at verse 9 that says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And we say this, Noah was such a good guy. Noah was such a good guy that he earned salvation from God. But listen, that's not what the Bible is saying. Remember in verse 5, the author of Genesis is telling us every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. It doesn't say except for Noah. It doesn't. Noah is included with that group. And then in verse 8, I really want you to circle this if, if, you, if you've got your Bibles open. It says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Circle that word favor. 
circle it three or four times, put a big star by it, put a big arrow by it. Why? Because that's the very first time in the scripture that the word grace appears. That's the Hebrew word for grace. And that's the very first instance of that word being used in the Bible. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So even though Noah was included with that group, God chose to show an individual grace. And as a result, Noah began to walk with God as a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He did not earn the favor of God. God gave him favor because of his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever chesed, this covenant-making God. So here's what happens. God says to Noah, build a boat, a big one. And if you read the account, God's pretty clear on how to build the boat. God was essentially the architect of this boat and Noah was the general contractor, right? He says, build a boat, because here's what's gonna happen. What, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send rain on the earth and it's going to flood the earth and annihilate everything on the earth. But I want to hit the reset button and start again. And I wanna give the human race the opportunity to thrive because I love you, because you're created in my image. I don't want it to just go away. God had every right to do that, but he didn't. He saved Noah. So he says, Noah, build a boat. You're going to put yourself and your immediate family on the boat, and you're going to collect all the animals, right? I, I kind of picture this like the beginning of Lion King. You remember the beginning of Lion King when, when Simba and or whatever that is, right? And they hold Simba up and all the animals are coming to see Simba as he's like, you know, crowned the new prince or whatever. This is what I picture. I know my brain works in weird ways. And I watch The Lion King a lot because, of, because I have a five-year-old, but that's not the point. The point is Noah collects one of, or two of every animal, puts them on the boat. And could you imagine Noah's friends? What in the world are you doing? What, what, you're building something the size of like an aircraft carrier. For what? For what? But then God says, get your family on the boat. Get the animals on the boat. And Noah did so. Do you see the faith there? Do you see the active trust there? That's the internal sign of that covenant. Do you see it? Noah is trusting, placing his faith in God. And he shuts the door of the boat. And then somebody feels a drop. And that drop becomes a sprinkle. And that sprinkle becomes a pour. And it poured for hours. And hours became days, and days became weeks, and weeks became 40 days until the entire earth was flooded and all was lost except for Noah and his family and the animals on the boat. The earth was flooded for 120 days and then Noah, at the end of that 120 days, begins to send out birds from the ark. And one of those birds brings back an olive branch. So what does that mean now? the waters have begun to subside and we're about to get back to dry land. The ark, the big boat, comes to rest on top of a mountain, the waters subside, Noah comes off the boat with the animals and God 
tells him about the covenant that he's making with him. And that covenant is stipulated in Genesis chapter 9. In fact, the word covenant in Genesis chapter 9, if you read it, is repeated in verse 9, verse 11, twice in verse 12, verse 13, verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. Do you think God's trying to get a point across here? I am making a covenant with you, Noah, that I'm not going to destroy the earth again. The internal sign of that covenant was faith. What was the external sign? Here's the pop quiz. The external sign was a rainbow that God places in the sky and says, I'm going to hold up my end of the covenant. The conditions of the covenant are these. First, don't kill people. They're made in the image of God. That's what you need to do. Number two, don't drink the blood of animals. I know that might sound a little bit weird, but here's what God is saying. He's saying, you may eat meat. However, don't just eat a raw bird while it's still living, right? Kill the animal, cook the animal, be humane. In other words, animals have value too. Animals have value too. Human beings have increased value because they're made in the image of God, but don't devalue animals and care for what is around you. Finally, God uh, says that the form that his people will take on as a result of the Noahic covenant is an extended family. He says to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, cover the earth. That's now the form that God's people are taking. So let's review. Who's the covenant mediator? Noah. What are the blessings? God says, I won't destroy the earth again by flood. What are the conditions? Don't kill people. Don't drink the blood of animals. Treat creation well. Number four, what's the internal sign of the covenant? The answer is always what? Faith. The answer is always faith. Every covenant, that's always the internal sign. Now, what's the external sign? A rainbow that God places in the sky to say, remember this covenant I've made with you. That's the external sign. And finally, what form does God's family take as a result of the Noahic covenant? Well, now they become an extended family. Now, we ask the same question that we asked last week. Are you ready? What in the world does this have to do with Jesus? What in the world does this have to do with Jesus? You know, animals two by two and a boat and a ramp. Like, what in the world does this have to do with Jesus? Well, if you would flip a few chapters, a few books to the right, all the way to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And the author of Hebrews begins to talk about covenants because the author of Hebrews knows that God's way of engaging with his people is through what? Covenant. That's right. The author of Hebrews understands how critical that was for the Old Testament mindset, for the Jewish mindset. The author of Hebrews understands that you cannot understand the work of Yahweh in the world if you don't understand that he's a covenant-making God. So in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, the author of Hebrews writes this. Now listen closely. Here's what this has to do with Jesus. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established 
on better promises. Skip to verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. What the author of Hebrews is saying, the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus supersedes the old covenants. Jesus supersedes the old covenants, all four of them. The Adamic, the Abrahamic, the Noahic that we're talking about today, and the Davidic. And that final covenant that the New Testament talks about is the Messianic covenant, the Jesus covenant. And that fifth covenant, Jesus, supersedes the previous four. Listen to verse 13 again. By calling this covenant new, he, that's Jesus, has made the first one obsolete. It's like by giving you an iPad with music on it, I'm rendering your cassette tapes obsolete. You don't need them anymore. They were good while they lasted. They were the right thing for the time. Just as the old covenants were, digital music has superseded your cassette tapes, just as Jesus has superseded the old covenants. So that's the first thing we need to learn. Now, that's a more general statement. Let's talk about the Noahic covenant in particular. Now, you're in Hebrews chapter 8. Flip a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. The author of Hebrews says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Did you see a word repeated in that statement three times? Faith. There it is. There's the internal sign of the covenant. Now, a lot of people, when they read Hebrews chapter 11, they call it the faith hall of fame. And it is. It talks a lot about uh, men and women of old who placed their faith in God, even when it didn't make sense to do so, and how God came through on his promises and delivered on his promises. And that's true. However, if you skip down to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, listen to how the author of Hebrews concludes the chapter. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. In other words, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying, all of these people that I've just listed, including but not limited to Noah, received in part what God had planned, but he always had something better planned. You see how Jesus fulfills and renders obsolete the Noahic covenant. That's not the only verse that talks about that. Skip over one book to 1 Peter. Just one book to the right. No, two books. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Two books to the right. Verse three, or chapter 3, verse 20. It's on the screen here as well. First uh, Peter, Peter writes this, To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, that was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see how Peter 
is now calling on the Noahic covenant and the story of Noah to help us understand Jesus. Two more verses, and, and then we're just going to wrap it all up so that we understand what Peter is doing here. Skip over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. See again, Peter is calling on the Noahic covenant to help us understand Jesus. Still in 2 Peter chapter 2, skip to verse 9. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So now Peter is not just looking to here and now. Peter is looking to the end times when God will save those whom he has called to himself. So here's how Peter is understanding Jesus. Here's the Old Testament lens that he's applying to Jesus to understand the life and work of Jesus. And if you're jotting down notes, jot this down. It'll be just below me here on the screen. The ark is to Noah as Jesus is to you. The ark is to Noah as Jesus is to you. See, when God sent his wrath at that particular time and place, the ark was Noah's salvation. And because Noah was in the ark, he was saved from the wrath of God. Now, <laughs> Jesus is your salvation. And because you are in Jesus, you are saved from the wrath of God. No matter what expression that takes, whether it's here and now or in the future. And just as it had nothing to do with Noah's righteousness, everything to do with his faith, it has everything to do with your faith. This is not a contract by which God says, you do this and I will save you in return. You make sure you behave, you make sure you obey and I'll save you in return. No, 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 no. God says, you just place your trust in me. And because you are in Jesus, in Christ, just as Noah was in the ark, you are saved from the wrath of God because of his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, chesed, love. Wow. Isn't that cool? I love that. You know, Jesus talks about Noah a little bit too. And there's other places all over the New Testament that talk about Noah and how we understand Jesus through that lens. I would encourage you to do a little bit of reading and studying on your own this week. Find those passages, study and understand because it will help you understand more and more the life and work of Jesus through the lens of the Noahic covenant. Now, before we wrap up, what does this mean for us? The first thing it means is this. And some of you need to hear this. Some of you need to hear it very badly. Stop with the striving. Stop with the striving. Stop with trying to impress God. Stop with trying to earn His favor. Please, this is a covenant, not a contract. God will hold up His end of the bargain no matter what. When you sin, go to God and know He's going to forgive. Don't live in shame. 
you are already in the ark, protected from his wrath. You are already in Jesus, protected, saved, secure, safe. This is not a contract. It's a covenant of grace. And his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love is poured out on your life in immeasurable ways. You don't need to strive to impress God. We respond in obedience and in trust. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, just as it didn't make sense for Noah. Sometimes we go, I don't know why you're asking me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Sometimes we read the Bible and go, that doesn't totally make sense, but I'm going to do it anyway because I trust you. We respond in trust, but we don't respond with striving to impress God. Let me release you from that burden. I just want to keep talking about this. Let me release you from the burden of trying to impress God. You don't need to. You are already in Jesus. He's your ark. He's your salvation, not your works, only by the grace of God and through faith alone. Stop the striving. Number two, and this comes directly from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Don't turn there. It's on the screen. You can turn there later. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Listen to what Paul writes. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Do you see our key word again there? He's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, that means not of the law, no striving, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I want you to focus on this phrase right here. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. So listen, the new covenant is the covenant of Jesus, and it's the covenant of grace. It's not a contract. So if you are going to be a minister of the new covenant, you need to embody grace. And that will be my encouragement to you today. Embody grace. Now that you know that you are in Jesus and safe and saved, regardless of your behavior, and it has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with chesed, His grace. Now that you know that, you can embody grace to others. I think for many of us, we struggle with this a little bit because we don't always get the first part right. If we know that it has nothing to do with our works and everything to do with the grace of God, then we can extend the same grace to others. We can embody grace to others. We can be a people that forgive. We can be a people that are generous. We can be a people that come alongside the outcast, the ostracized, the oppressed, the forgotten about. We can be a people that embrace folks no matter what their behavior looks like. Preach, talk to me. No matter what their behavior looks like because we have been saved by grace through faith and we are in Jesus because of God's chesed. We can embody the new covenant. We can embody grace to others. My prayer is that that helps you understand just a little bit more the life and work and role of Jesus. This stuff is so fun for me. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Abrahamic covenant and how that uh, shapes and forms Jesus and the mold that he comes out of as a result of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, I pray that you join us next week. See you then.